Welcome to the Maiden Podcast. I'm Gail Connell, and I'm here with my friend Erica Jeffers. Um, we started this podcast as a platform just to discuss life with all the beauty and challenges that it entails from a Black woman's perspective. Erica, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, hi, Gail. Thanks for introducing me. Uh, so I'm Erica Jeffers. Uh, I am 45, and I am from the UK. Leeds, to be specific. So hi to all my uh, UK listeners. Uh, I hope you're well. So um, that's me. Anything else you'd like me to say, Gail? Uh, No, I mean, I don't think that adequately captures what a badass you are, but I'm sure people will learn that through the context of our podcast, right? Um, Indeed. Yeah, Erica and I met in London where we worked together for a long time. And that's a whole nother story that we'll get into (laughs) probably in a later recording. But I'm a 42-year-old Black woman from Jamaica originally, growing up in the U.S. You know, I'm a wife, mother, and I'm just trying to navigate through life in this Black body, right? And I think there is a universality in the experience of Black women globally And now is the time for us to kind of come together and just discuss some of the unique challenges that we face and just some of the unique benefits that we bring to the table. Um, I guess in agreeing with yourself around why we wanted to do this podcast, right? It's all about we are navigating through um, some interesting times at the moment. And we have navigated through very uh, sticky mud, I'd like to say, uh, to get us to this point. And we are trying to do this podcast as a way to create a community of women, like-minded women, who are going through some similar challenges and for you to be able to hear what we're going through, what our thoughts are, how we are overcoming some of these challenges and join the conversation with us um, so that we can just make this a community of women who are women who are in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's an excellent way to put it. We are in the middle. And I think traditionally that is the role that, Black women have played, right? We have been at the epicenter of everything, uh, yet what one of the most marginalized populations, right? In the middle and yet ignored. And so even though we're not a monolith, it's, it's important that we understand that we are seen, even if it's by each other, and that we are heard. Um, so that's, that is really important. So thank you for saying that. Just in terms of kickstarting the conversation, I wanted to ask you, what do you think our greatest strength is as Black women? Resilience. Mm. That's our greatest strength. We have overcome so much. If you look at our ancestors, if you look back in history, in terms of the queens um, that we come from, uh, in Africa as well, in terms of there were leaders of their tribes right they were the warriors and when um when the 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 men go out to fight or who are the ones who are taking care of the home whether that is 
in our ancestry or whether that is now, right? Now we we pivot so well into so many situations. We have been we have been um demonized, we have been um misappropriated in terms of our features, our attitude, um our very essence and our very vibe and being has been uh, people have tried to almost capture it in a bottle and then tried to sell it as a as a commodity but what's interesting is is that they want everything that we produce and everything that they that we are but they don't necessarily want to acknowledge us so we are resilient that's the first and foremost thing that we are we can pivot into anything we can turn our hand to anything um and being resilient has is is why we are in the middle of everything why we are uh the leaders from a, a cultural perspective and why we are um leaders in so many different aspects yeah i mean yeah historically we have had to be the ones to hold it down right as you as you mentioned so we had taken care of things at home and especially you know in in well, for the past 400 years, we've seen the systemic breakdown of the Black family unit, right? So as Black women, we have had to be the ones taking care of our own children and largely taking care of, you know, society's children as well, right? And we have to be the breadwinners. We have to be the role models. We have to set the example. We have to do everything for our communities, right? And and it's a huge burden to carry. And I think increasingly, you know, black women realize that we are not carrying it alone. And I think back to our motivation for this, this is, this is a place where we can share that burden and carry it together and realize that there is support and there are people who understand and who see us and hear us. And I think that's vital. Uh, I I agree. And I think, just to add to that, you know, one of the things that I think we have been, whilst we have been resilient, we've also been invisible. And now we are becoming more visible in so many ways because all of a sudden we are developing into our authentic selves. We, it is now acceptable to be who we are, how we talk how we hold ourselves how we wear our hair that naturally grows out of our head and right uh, it, it's it's i think that now is a time for us to just keep on reinforcing each other and and making sure that and holding each other accountable sorry to be authentic in who we are and in the situations and scenarios in which we are in um, I think it's really important for us to have that that confidence and to be visible to ourselves and almost not seek visibility from others. Um, but And also, once we are able to fully accept ourselves for who we are and be visible to ourselves, as you said, and kind of embrace each other, that sets the platform for us then taking that to the next step, right? Because we need to be able to then leverage that to utilize the power that we gain from 
our strength in numbers, right? And we, we strategize and we find a way to make the system that was not set up for us work for us with, you know, this level of solidarity and visibility. And I think that's going to be the challenging part, right? Because we've seen periods in history where there is outrage, kind of like we're seeing now, right? There is outrage at what is happening to, you know, Black people in general. And how do we transition that into meaningful legislative, substantive change, right? And that's something that we need to think about as Black women, as the leaders of our communities, right? How do we ensure that we set the tone and we make change that will be evident for our children and our grandchildren, right? Because it's it's not just important that we understand what's happening to us and we provide that support for ourselves. We need to set up the infrastructure so that we stop perpetuating this vicious cycle. I know what I love about having natural hair. When I started to go through my natural hair journey, and there is a story behind that as well, conversations that Gail and I have had. Mm -hmm. Um, um, When I started to go through my natural hair journey, it was very interesting to me how much more camaraderie there was between black women who saw each other. It was so interesting how much freer we felt to go and talk to each other about our hair and what products we were using and the journey that we were going through, random strangers just having conversations about hair. And I can't tell you, I had countless conversations with women who I met once, had that conversation and we walked away. But I feel like that to me was part of this journey that the black community seems to be on about it's like we're slowly surely taking these tiny steps towards each other and starting to embrace each other which is why you know in terms of the maiden and why we wanted to create this was to see if we can make those steps a little bit bigger right and so that we can get a little bit closer and so um I think that I'm looking forward to this journey. I'm looking forward to the journey for the maiden. I'm looking forward to um, meeting new people. I'm looking forward to hearing different stories about women in the middle, whether they're in the middle in terms of uh, their 40s, if they're in the middle in terms of their careers, if they are um, in the middle in terms of being the middle child and some of the challenges that comes with that. And these, these, I just think there is one of the reasons why I wanted to contribute to this and the conversations that Gail and I have had is about how do we provide a forum, a community for these women who I sometimes think are the forgotten ones. We're still here. We're still in our careers. We're still, there's still things in life that we want to achieve. Right. This is the place where we want to create support for those people who may feel as though they are now outside of that 25 to 35 bracket or 35 to 45 bracket um, in terms of a place where which they can have conversations that have meaning to them about things that are happening to them in their particular time of life. And to realize the power behind that, right? As you said, I think what you said is so poignant and so true about 
taking those steps towards each other. And it, it's it's quite a, a meaningful example, the whole natural hair thing, because it's true, right? Once we as Black women started taking ownership of our beauty, right, and, and started defining beauty for ourselves, it shifted the paradigm, not only culturally, but also financially, right? Then now sure. you have major brands jumping on the bandwagon and, you know, releasing products that cater specifically to women of color, right? We're largely, we were ignored before, right? Uh, this was not- I, I completely thing. agree. So, I mean, and it's finding ways to do that, you know, across the entire diaspora, the, the entire experience of, of being Black. We need to control our own narrative, right? We need to reclaim our power and our strength. And, you know, increasingly we realize that we cannot expect anyone else to do that for us or support us in that mission. And we need to be able to rely on each other and have that solidarity. So agree. And I think, you know, even the hair products is a prime example of how we've made a shift in the wider culture. So I don't know if this was happening before, but we start to talk about, you know, no parabens, no mineral oils, et cetera, et cetera, that were not good for our hair. And all of a sudden that's a branding piece that's on products which are primarily targeted. Yes, I said primarily targeted (laughs) to, 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 um, to, to white people. So it's, it's very, we influence so much. We influence everything, actually. I don't even want to even, we influence absolutely everything. And um, we need to get stuck in, recognised for that. We need to start also finding a way in which we can economically start to benefit from it. We've got, you know, we talk about all of these, these, these um, situations that are affecting us and impacting us. And how do we deal with that, right? How are we ensuring that we are voting with our feet? Listen, I live in the UK. UK is black people. Percentage of black people is actually about 3% um, in the UK. Uh, In London, the percentage is much higher because it's a much more multicultural um, environment. But our percentage is very low compared to to the States. And even when I was in the States, I was very surprised at how that your percentage, I think it's about 20%. No, it, well, it's it's twelve percent actually, but because you were in New York, again, it's similar to London. It's an urban area, so the concentration of minorities is much higher right. in New York than in lots of the country. Right, right. So you see lots of black people in New York. So how do we, with our small percentages, and I think in the UK there's more of a concentration of black people, probably more south than there are more north. So for the benefit of the listeners and those who are not not familiar with the the geographical ge- oh, geographic, I'll be able to put my teeth in. No, I don't wear false teeth. But I can put my teeth in. Um, it's a UK saying. Um, uh, Leeds is about two hundred miles north of of London. Um, and when I went to school, I was probably one of maybe fifteen kids in a school of I want to say about three hundred pupils um who were black and and the conclusion that I've come to actually is that 
these things that we want to achieve as a community, it has to start at an individual level. And then as per the steps I was talking about, then we get closer to one another. But we've got to start looking out for one another and we've got to start building that community foundation, whether that's through a smile, smiling at another black person, right? Whether that's striking up a conversation with another black person. These are the things that are going to start to bring our community together. It really is. And hopefully this this podcast will become one of those spaces, right, where people feel welcome to comment and to, you know, voice their opinions. Because, again, we're not a monolith, right? We're not all going to agree on specific issues. But once we understand that we are in it together, right, and our the perception of us from the outside is that of a monolith, right? And that's something that we have been forced to internalize and deal with and learn how to navigate through society within that framework and that context. Once we own that and understand that, then we can go about shifting that dialogue, shifting that narrative and making sure that people understand that, you know, we are powerful together, but that doesn't mean that we always have to agree. So, uh, you know, this, this needs to be a safe space for all of that. And I, I completely agree. And I think what's been interesting for me in my career and my progression through life, I always started out with, I would like for anybody who has a negative view of a black woman, when they engage with me, that they walk away thinking, oh, that experience didn't go as I thought it would be. So could you start to so I could start to crack that view of us being a monolith, right? Not every black woman is finger wagging and shouting and head twirling like the exorcist. We are not that caricature that they would like people to believe we are the angry black woman. We as like anybody else, can have different moods, different experiences and different ways in which we represent ourselves. And that's the other thing. We always are representing everyone. Yes. When we move forward, we need to be able to represent ourselves because I don't really know of... I've never really thought about a white person or engaged with a white person and thought that they were then a representation of the whole race. I've always understood that there are different types of white people. So and, but you have to, right? Just, just sorry to interrupt you, but to that point, we have to, because as black people, we live in a white society. So on any given day, we are going to see a multitude of examples of different types of white people, right? And I can understand why a lot of times they would think that black people are a monolith, right? Because the majority of people, you know, in America and worldwide, America is still a very segregated place, right? So lots of people don't see black people on a regular basis. Their circles do not include black people. And so they don't understand that the average American black 
white, Asian, uh, they have the exact same life on a day-to-day basis, right? In terms of the semantics of getting up, going to work, taking public transportation, right? Getting your kids to school. All of those things are consistent across the American experience, right? But because white people don't have, they only have the media context of what black people are like, and they don't know any examples of black people who are just like them, um, you know, it makes it difficult for them to actually question critically the images that they see in the media, right? And that's why it's important to have examples of progressive and intelligent and, you know, just culturally exposed Black people because though we exist, right? We're here. And to your point, regardless of whether or not we are finger wagging and neck swinging or whether, you know, we're, you know, Dr. Huxtable, our, our humanity shouldn't be any more questionable than a white person's, right? I shouldn't, just because I might be well-educated or, you know, I have a good job or I'm from a more affluent neighborhood, that doesn't mean that the Black woman who's living in the projects, that her voice is any less important and that her experience isn't also important in the context of the broader conversation about how we improve things for everyone. I completely agree. I think that... um... For me, I am so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited about what we're doing. And I really hope that the conversations that we have do resonate with people, do let them know that they are not alone in their thought process or their view of the world or that there is a safe place um, for them to comment. And hopefully as well, this is a place where we can share our Um, knowledge and our insights and what do we read and what influences us and who influences us in terms of some of the topics that we're going to cover um, over this first series of The Maiden. Definitely. And I I know that personally, I always learn so much from our interactions, right? So I, you always make me question something about myself or, or examine why I hold certain beliefs And I know that that's, I feel like that's important for all of us to do, right? To consistently challenge ourselves and and look at our motivations and and reassess how we progress in this crazy thing called life. And so I know that that's something that, that you will offer to all of the listeners as well. And I hope that I can do a little bit of that as well. And we, we hope to learn from the people who listen from us, right? And we want to learn from their experiences and, and, understand how that has shaped their daily lives and their outlook because all of that is going to be important in terms of coming together yeah I think um with this I really want to start a community of black women who are just ready to move ready to stand up and move forward from the status quo change the narrative about us change the narrative about what is said about us change the narrative about what we say about ourselves make sure that we are living in abundance and not scarcity 
make mm. sure that we have an understanding of what else is out there, how else we can contribute as a community, whether it's economically or whether it's through social engagement, you know, just raising awareness of what is out there and and just how we can do better because we can all do better. And I definitely know that every day I learn something new and I can always do better. And I am absolutely craving for an environment whereby I am not judged by the fact that I am a, a black woman. It's really interesting, actually, Gail. How would you want to be seen? If somebody had to describe you in a crowd, would you like to be described as that black female? Well, I am a black female, right? And so that wouldn't bother me one bit. I, I am a black female, right? And that is what people are going to notice about me. If you've never met me and you see me walking down the street, then I am going to be a black female. And I think my perspective, I don't know if it will be slightly different from yours, but it's going to be shaped by the fact that in America, there is a one drop rule, right? So if you have one drop of black blood, then historically you are a black person, right? And you can be treated as such with all that that means in America. And so I think what that has done for black Americans specifically is that it has forced them to embrace their blackness in a way that you might not see in other colonized places, right? So in Brazil, for example, where you have I don't know how many different classifications for race, people are going to be quick, you know, to claim a little bit more Caucasian or European ancestry when they can. Whereas in America, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter how may, how little percentage of African American, of African blood you have, it's still there. And so you're black. And so Black people in America have had to embrace that. So I don't mind being called a Black female. I welcome being called a Black female because those are the two most prominent things about me, right? Those are the two adjectives that are readily obvious, and I'm proud of those things. And how do you feel about, and, and I concur in terms of, just for clarity, I'm very happy to be described as a Black female. Um, I guess I just... <laughs> I guess where I'm probably trying to get to with this is um, defined in terms of my characteristics by those two adjectives. Right. I mean, I think I think that's those things are not all any of us are, right? And that's the point. But it's a starting point, right? That's I, I don't expect people who don't know me to be able to understand anything more about me. And I think the fact that I am a black woman living in America already gives people a lot of information, right? How they receive that information and their perception of that information is going to be, you know, the bigger question, but it gives people context around my experience in America and it does give people a framework in which they will interact with me. The problem is that in America, that framework is always skewed, right? And and that's the issue that we're seeing now where black people are always, our framework is just 
it's always prejudicial you know, for the most part. You know, it's so funny because somebody said to me, somebody sent me a um, an Instagram tile for one of a an Instagram post that talked about um, being unapologetically black. And they said, I saw this and I thought of you. And it's somebody who I actually work with. Um, I work for a, a large consultancy. Um, I'm not giving them any free advertisement. Although, yeah. And so um, <laughs> what was interesting to me and what I probably didn't even recognise was that in that space that I was authentically myself. And to be fair, I felt as though I could be authentically myself to a certain extent, more than any previous organisations I've worked with. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that that's how they viewed me, having only had interactions with me in the workplace. So, okay. so let me ask you another question. What's your feeling about the adjectives mm. that are used for our heritage, right? In describing us from an ethnicity perspective, black and race perspective, black, African, African-American, brown skinned people, people of color. What's your preference? Okay. So first of all, I think we need to be very clear, right? Between um, ethnicity and race, let me guess. Well, yes, between ethnicity and race, right? Uh, I mean, r- first of all, race is a social construct, right? But it is mm-hmm. one that has been accepted and, you know, it's being used throughout the world. It is the, the reality of modern life. That being said, um, you know, I also want to make sure that we're clear about black and people of color. And I'm not here to undermine the struggle of other people of color, but I am a black woman, right? And that is, that's the adjective that I use for myself. I mean, some people are African-American. I'm black, especially because I was born in the Caribbean, right? So I think it would be disingenuous of me to represent myself as an African-American because I wasn't born in America. I was born Caribbean. And that does shape my experience as a black person in America as well, right? It's a very complicated situation with lots of dynamics at play. And so I refer to myself as black. And and I think this podcast is not that people of color more generally are not welcome to contribute and to enjoy and to listen. Um, but this is about the experience of Black women, right? And I think the phrase, the phrase "people of color" is very inclusive. But when you create inclusivity, sometimes you dilute your specific message, right? And I think there are times when both are important. But within the context of this podcast, we're talking about the Black female experience. So when and how do you feel about the Black and Brown? terminology that is used personally i feel that this is a carryover from colonization and colorism because i don't necessarily have the darkest skin but i'm still black right and so i think to create that distinction between whether you're black or you're brown 
right? It's, it's one that it's semantics, right? And it's something that we get hung up on and it becomes divisive in some ways, right? Because when white people look at us, we're all black to them, right? Especially in America. So I, I don't know if it's always helpful to have a distinction between black people and brown people, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the usage that I've heard and maybe brown people, you know, are describe themselves as brown when they are not African-like. You know, I understand why um, people from the Indian subcontinent mm-hmm. or right? People who are from um, the the South Pacific or, right? Those types of regions would describe themselves Mm. as brown because they're not of African descent. Descent. I understand. I like that. I like the way that you've actually just done that distinction Um, because I always, I I always have a, there's something in me that kind of like go, yes, it makes that noise. When I hear black and brown people there's something in me that makes me think but and when sometimes this term is used it's not necessarily used for those people that you have just identified in terms of the indian um subcontinent etc it's used in terms of you're right i think sometimes it's used in terms of people identifying themselves through the paradigm of colorism that they are not necessarily dark-skinned and therefore they do not want to be known as black because, but then my other thought then is some people just don't want to be aligned with the terminology, one, conceptually of race, or two, with the fact of being um, defined by the word black because black is seen and is deemed to be, such has such negative connotations in the English language. Um, and so... I also understand that to a certain extent, um, but I think I think I, in my personal view, I I like the idea of us we are of African descent, and that should be that's the distinguishing factor. And there needs to be, I know, I guess the 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 group name for it is the African diaspora, right? Um, in terms of that's what I like to. Uh, affiliate that's, myself that's with your chosen adjective so how do you feel about the adjective of black i feel I, i'm fine with the adjective of black because of everything that it represents from a cultural perspective that's who i am what i am what i've been brought up in i've also got the whole the fact that i was born in the uk so i'm black british but my parents are from the caribbean and so i am Black British Caribbean, uh, and then I have descendancy from Africa. So I'm African Caribbean British, which then mm. just defines me as black. So we don't even need to to have that in there, right? And so, and I love, that. I love, I I love that I have all of that rich culture. I hate. Yeah. That I have no line of sight to my African ancestry, and so my preference, if if they came out tomorrow and said, right then, we want to change the narrative and we want we want to change the adjectives when we use to talk about you in terms of your race, 
ethnicity, right? We want to change what that says. And here's a list. Um, and my adjective would have African in there somewhere. That's interesting, right? Because it's not that I don't feel an affinity for Africa. And I understand that those are my origins, right? And I know, and I absolutely understand that there is so much of African culture and history that is encoded in our DNA and that we carry with us even unknowingly. But I also, I don't, I feel that Black people in America specifically are much more American than they are African, right? And so the term African-American for me applies to people like Lupita Nyong'o, who was born in Africa and emigrated to the U.S. and is a naturalized citizen, right? For me, that's much more, I see that more uh, of uh, the definition of African-American, right? Yes, I'm Black, so of course I came from Africa, but the truth is every life started in Africa, right? And so I think it's, it's not that the term African-American undermines the Black contribution to American society as much as it just, it doesn't fully encompass it. Right. And I think the the reality of the situation is that black culture is American culture. Right. So black people in America are as American, if not more American than everyone else. Right. Black people have been here in the 1500s. Okay, And and black culture is is the 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 rock on which american society was built not only our culture not just our music and our food but our physical bodies have created what america is today and so for me it doesn't it isn't an issue of of being african american we are black in america we are americans who happen to be black that's very interesting because all of those things that you have just identified as the contributions, whether it's physical characteristics or from a cultural perspective, all those things have come from Africa. And so even though they may have evolved into different music types, whether that be reggae, soca, um, hip hop, what have you, all of that still originates from you're absolutely right, right? The musical traditions, the food, but that I think we need to respect how much that evolved within the specific societies that the slaves were living in as well, right? And and Black people, to your point about Black women being resilient, we were able to take the resources, the limited resources that were available to us in these different environments and create a culture because that was what was stripped from us, right? When, when, when the slaves arrived, they were stripped of their names and their identity and their culture. And black people have had to recreate that in every location, right? Where they were. And so it does all tie back to Africa, but we need to be clear to what extent that has shaped the countries that they are in 
now. And I think the term African-American makes it easy for white people to disassociate and, and, and kind of ignore the, the fact that American culture is black culture. So would you prefer it to be, and I agree. Now, would you, there's two things in that. The first thing for me is, would you prefer that a black American, well, okay. So I guess the the first thing would be that everybody's American, but that's not the world we live in. So right. what would be the, what would be the, the markers in terms of labeling to, right. if we, to, if we must to separate? Label, yeah. If we must label then black American, I'm perfectly fine with that. And then, and then and I, I agree with in terms of right now in 2020, globally black culture because i don't think it's just american i think black culture is global absolutely yeah, right absolutely um heavily influenced by some of the stuff that comes out of the states but then some of the stuff that comes out of the states was previously influenced through stuff that was coming out of the caribbean and that was coming out of africa as well right like in terms of hip hop when we talk about hip hop originating from the Bronx, reggae music, right? In terms of, <laughs> yes. I heard you though, and so no, and you're right, and and you know, it, there is there was a, a heavy reggae influence in terms on of when, in the early days, right? Right, and and the beat and everything like that comes from. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that now we influence culture, and I think that's definitely been a generational shift. In terms of well, I think we've always influenced culture. We've always influenced culture, and I think in now the mainstream though, because not in the mainstream as it is now. So, if you talked about if we were in the sixteen hundreds, eighteen fifties, wherever, we would not have necessarily influenced it in the same way as we are now. That's all. That's that's the point I guess I'm trying to make. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true, right? Because if you're talking about the 1600s, then we were still influencing culture in the terms of, in terms of, you know, we were the people who were cooking the food, right? We were the people who were raising the children. We were the people who had the skill set and the knowledge to grow the crops, right? The, the West Africans were not chosen as slaves by accident, right? This was not, it wasn't just a, a matter of opportunity. There were reconnaissance missions, right? To understand which population of people had the skill set that was required to create capital within the American South, right? And, and they went to West Africa because these were the people who had the stamina, they had the knowledge, right? To be able to grow the crops that were, were, that, you know, could thrive in the climate of the American South. Right. And so we were driving forward culture, even in a time when it was never acknowledged. I think the difference now is that we can be vocal about the appropriation that is going on. We were the musicians of the time, right? We were the ones who were entertaining the white folks and cooking for the white families. Right. So all of that historically has come from black people. We just never were in a position to claim that and call people out 
for the appropriation that has happened for hundreds of years. Yes, agreed. Agreed. So, audience, this 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 whole uh, podcast and these conversations, these are the conversations that Gail and I have all the time. And we've been friends yes, for all the over 10 years. And we've been quite tame on this one, haven't we? We have been quite tame because we're recording. We're, we're not kind of <laughs> interested each other like we usually are. But, uh, and so eager to put our points across. But this is what we wanted to do with this podcast was to invite you into our conversations, right? And to broaden the conversations to a wider audience because we think our conversations are quite fun and they're always informative. I learn so much from Gail and I might not like the delivery, but I receive the information. (laughs) I receive the information that's me delivered. Uh, and she hasn't even really corrected me yet in terms of my pronunciations uh, or my grammar on this call but uh, I'm sure by time uh, on this podcast rather uh, but I'm sure by time uh, this is all over you will have heard that a couple of times and then you will hear me say that's what I said so in your charming leadish accent and I think you know the listeners will enjoy it so that wraps up our first episode and we hope that you enjoyed it we look forward to sharing more of our thoughts and our insights with you and raise questions. And we look forward to your feedback and we hope you enjoy this as much as we do. Take care and see you next time. Peace and love.